Thank you for the hope of eternity and for the truth that Jesus is coming again. Bless us this day, Father, as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning. We are, uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We've been working our way through 1 Timothy in this series called Healthy Church. And today we come to chapter 5. Well, uh, according to the BBC, Japan is seeing a surge in sales of talking dolls that help the elderly stave off loneliness and perhaps even dementia. Several companies have developed childlike dolls that go beyond repeating set phrases to conduct a range of basic conversations. Kind of strange, isn't it? Here's what one 86-year-old woman in Japan said about her talking boy doll. She said, after spending about a month with my boy, I started to feel affection for him and cannot leave him alone. I feel more positive and I talk more often. So the company that developed the dolls initially targeted 20-something-year-old women, but they were surprised to see it take off among the elderly. Executives think that young people are buying the dolls for their relatives so that they don't have to visit them. That's sad. The article concludes, the Japanese government concedes that loneliness is a serious problem among the country's elderly. A 2018 study showed that around 25% of pensioners who live alone may go days without having a conversation with another person. My goodness, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? And so as the culture grows increasingly busy, as it polarizes, people don't have time for family. That's sad, isn't it? Have any of you been confronted with a good news, bad news situation lately? You know what I'm talking about. I heard about a man who got a call from his doctor. The doctor said, your test results are in, and I've got good news, and I've got bad news for you. And the man said, okay, well, give me the good news first. And the doctor said, the good news is that your test results indicate that you have three days left to live. That's the good news, the guy exclaimed. For heaven's sake, what is the bad news? Well, said the doctor, the bad news is I forgot to call you yesterday. <laughs> oh. Well, in our message today, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is that the church is like a family. The bad news is the church is like a family. For many people, family is the most important thing in life. But that doesn't mean family life is easy. I bet some of you have heard parts of the famous speech by Winston Churchill that he gave during World War II when he said, uh, during World War II, when he said, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. And to some of us, that quote sounds Maybe something like your last family reunion, right? (laughs) 
Well, as we come to the, uh, we're working our way towards the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, and at the end of, uh, of our message series on this healthy church, we come to chapter 5, which is focused on the family of God. That's why we're calling today's message, We Are Family. As the family of God, we are called to cultural and generational barriers and try to get across those as a diverse group of people focused on serving God, on loving others. That is the role of the church family. And so in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy about the the church family by focusing on what I'm going to call the foundation stones that hold up God's family. And so I want to take a look at that with you for a few minutes this morning. Three foundational elements of the Christian family, the church family. And so Paul begins in uh, verses 1 and 2. I'd like to read these words together. The words are on the screen. Let's uh, read this section together. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers... Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So as Paul is setting up his instructions about the church family, he lets Timothy know about the proper interaction that is to take place between different generations, between men, between women. As a church leader, he says to Timothy, the first foundation stone, the foundational element, Timothy, to build in the church family is respect respect. Believe it or not, all the people in the church are, in a very real way, your relatives. Think about that for a moment. Take a look around at your relatives, right? They're all your relatives because we all have the same heavenly Father. And so the way that we talk to and about each other should show respect that is proper within the family. Now, of course, in every family, there's sometimes some friction. Is that right? There are times when we need to get our troubles out in the open, out on the table. Paul isn't saying that we should overlook problems or sweep things under the rug. But what he is saying is that we must respect one another, even when we disagree. When Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke. An older man. The word rebuke describes a a condescending or a violent attitude. And so instead, Paul says, instead of rebuking Timothy, encourage. What a great word that we see throughout the New Testament. It's a word that conveys literally the idea of coming alongside. Think about the picture of coming alongside somebody and putting your arm around them to strengthen someone who is weak. That is the encouragement of respect that is to be carried out within the church. One of the hallmarks of the church family should be that we encourage and help one another. Those that have no children in the home can help those who have a house full. Those who are enjoying good health can assist those who are sick or injured. Hospitable people can open up their homes for meals or meetings. Paul wanted Timothy as a church leader, to model this kind of respectful and encouraging behavior to the entire church. And so, friends, we're called to do no less. 
Younger folks should be glad to help those that are older. Older people should be open to mentoring and counseling and encouraging those who are younger. The church of Jesus Christ should follow his example of crossing cultural and generational barriers. We are to be a group of people focused on serving Jesus, on loving others. We are many faces, many talents, many generations combined as one body that God calls his church. In November of 2005, Ivy Smith was baptized at a church in Portsmouth, England. She was 101 years old, and she is believed to be the oldest worshiper in Britain to have ever been baptized. Isn't that interesting? Smith, Mrs. Smith grew up in southern England. She was the seventh of 14 children in a Methodist family, and as a child, she says she attended chapel every day in school. But in her adult years, she says, she drifted away from the church, from Christian faith. But in her final years, she was drawn back to the church. Just think about that. It had been nearly a century since she had been to a worship service when she came to church. But soon, those people in the church noticed that Mrs. Smith was coming every week. And it wasn't long before some of her fellow worshipers asked her why she didn't take part in communion. Mrs. Smith said, I'd never been baptized. And so they asked me if I'd like to be. And I said, at my age? But soon she consented. This centenarian is most excited about taking part in the Lord's Supper. She said, having only watched it happen, to take communion really made me truly feel a part of the family of God. Isn't that awesome? When I look out at our congregation, we look like family. We don't all look like each other. We don't look like each other at all. There's a lot of diversity but let's make sure that we act like a family. And a good family will have a foundation of respect for everyone. Well, the second foundation, or foundation stone, if you will, for God's family that Paul addresses is what I'm going to call provision. Provision. And we see this in, in a number of places in verses 3 through 18 in our text today. You know, um, there, there's a, a government service called Child Protective Services, right? And they consider it neglect. Neglect is, to, is a form of child abuse. And that's because no child can survive without some sort of family that will provide for that child. Well, you know, God takes the same attitude. In, in verse 8 of the text, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's writing to the people in the church. Notice that caring for family is not an option. It's a command. 
Now, in our church, we, we try and we strive to support and encourage families. We also try to fill in the gaps when an individual has no natural family support. Uh, in this letter, Paul gives Timothy some very specific instructions for how the Ephesian church should provide for each other. In, in verses 3 through 6, Paul starts talking about widows in the congregation. Now, widows in the first century were often destitute with no way of making an income. We, we see in Acts chapter 6 that this was one of the very first crises for the new church as they faced what it meant to be a church. There were all these widows that had needs that weren't being met, and so ministry leaders were chosen in order to meet the needs of widows specifically in the Jerusalem church. Well, our, our situation is somewhat different today. Many widows are able to support themselves. Of course, we have a government-sponsored retirement program for older people. In other cases, people have proceeds from life insurance or pensions or the like to meet their needs. But what I think we can do is take the principles that Paul writes about here in this passage and apply them to our congregation in the 21st century. It seems to me that Paul was concerned about the widows because they were the most vulnerable people in the church family. So I think it would be fair for us to say that our first priority in meeting needs should be of our own church family members who are vulnerable in some way. That might include all kinds of different situations, perhaps single-parent families or children with an absent parent or people with disabilities or folks out of work or disaster victims or, of course, widows that are struggling. There could be many categories. Of course, no congregation has unlimited resources, and so just like any physical family, the church family needs to budget their money to make wise choices. But here are some guidelines that Paul gave to Timothy in this passage that I want to go over with you. First, I want you to notice that Paul says to give to those who are truly in need. In verse 3, Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. What is he talking about there? Well, unfortunately, deception and fraud are realities in our world, and apparently they were in Paul's day as well. That's why the church leadership must seek to be wise and careful in how the donations made to the church are used, asking questions about situations rather than just giving away funds whenever a request is made. Here at Garden Way, we have appointed one of our deacons, John Louie, to oversee our benevolent ministry. And from every dollar that you give to Garden Way Church, 4% is set aside into our benevolent fund to take care of people who are vulnerable. Well, the next thing I want you to see is that Paul says the priority is to meet the needs of those who do not have family that can support them. You see that principle outlined in verses 4 and 5 and 16. Paul talks about honoring people, especially as they grow older. The family is our first line of support. 
the church family can then come and help to fill the gaps when there is no other family support available. And then finally, I want you to notice that Paul said to give help to those who live godly lives. You see that in verses 5 and 10. He made it clear that the church was not obligated to help those who harmed the testimony of the church. People that were receiving help were not to be gossips. They were to to serve as, as much as they are able in ministries of the church. And the principle behind all of this is that the, the church is not here just to, to dole out money to anyone who knocks on the door or calls on the phone, but rather to first help to meet the needs of those who are faithful, committed participants in the life and the ministry of the local church. Well, finally, after, after having laid the foundation stones of respect and provision firmly in place, Paul says that the church family also needs to give discipline. It's not a very popular word in our world today, is it? Let's think about that for a moment, discipline. Think about new parents. They might get by for a while with just love and care of that tiny baby, But as that child grows, mom and dad would be wise to give that child some loving discipline. Is that correct? And of course, that doesn't happen only once or twice. The need for discipline will, in various forms, exist for many years to come. I read a story about someone asked a mom the following question. They said, if you had to do it all over again, would you have children? And she promptly responded, yes, but not the same ones. (laughs) I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way. Then it occurred to me, I wonder if God, how God would answer that question (laughs) when he thinks about us, if we asked him that. Well, friends, in the church family, discipline is not just for the kids. You know, the word discipline and the word disciple come from the same root. The only way to make progress as a disciple of Jesus is to, excuse me, to go with regular spiritual discipline. Discipline in our culture, as I mentioned earlier, often has a, a negative connotation. So often we link it with punishment, don't we? But to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a learning, doing follower. You see, Jesus is our model. And as disciples, we seek to replicate his actions, his attitudes, his priorities. And so it is discipline in our spiritual life that helps us to make corrections in those areas where we may be weak or wandering off the path that the Lord has set out for us. And so this idea of discipline within the church family is critical. We know that the congregation in Ephesus was facing a number of situations that required church discipline. We've talked about some of those as we worked our way through 1 Timothy. You might remember that, that some people within the church were following the doctrines of false teachers. And there needed to be some correction, some discipline. There were some women who were trying to usurp authority from the leadership in the church. There were some men who aspired to leadership who were not qualified. There were some widows 
who were seeking help but were not living pure lives. And so Paul advised Timothy in all of these situations that discipline should be enacted, but enacted only when the issue had been thoroughly examined. And it must be impartial, and it must be consistent. Let's look at verses 19 through 21 when Paul says to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, Timothy, to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And so from this, we we notice that there must be proper respect shown when we address somebody that needs discipline and proper procedure so that discipline doesn't rest on something as flimsy as gossip or innuendo or somebody's personal opinions. You see, discipline is important in the church, but it must be done properly so that it strengthens the church family. When I was a kid, I remember wanting to be older. Anybody ever have that feeling when you were little, you wanted to be older, right? If you were a little kid, you wanted to be like the older kids. If you're an older kid, you wanted to be like the teenagers. When you were a teenager, you couldn't wait to be an adult. You wanted to be older. Now, now that I'm somewhere between, between young and old, I find myself often wishing more and more that I was a bit younger again. I suppose that's life though, isn't it? But have you ever found yourself actually wanting to feel older? I I don't know why anybody would. But, you know, there's a way that you can. And that would be to put on the age man suit. This suit was developed by Dr. Rahel Eckhart from the Geriatric Center in Berlin, Germany. The suit lets anyone who wears it feel like a 75-year-old or older person. It was designed to give medical students and physicians and caregivers a sense of what elderly people physically experience in order to encourage these medical workers to feel more empathy towards their patients. And so how do you train a a 20-something-year-old medical student to feel genuine empathy for senior citizens? Well, that's That's where the age man suit comes in. This suit consists of ear protectors that stifle hearing, a visor that blurs eyesight and makes it hard to distinguish colors, knee and elbow pads which stiffen the joints and make them more difficult to move, a Kevlar jacket-style vest which presses uncomfortably against the chest, and padded gloves that make it hard to have good dexterity. The age man suit, which weighs around 22 pounds when you put it on, has been custom made to simulate the physical consequences of aging. Now, Dr. Eckhart helps strap the suit onto the med students, and as she does this, she tells them, welcome to old age. She says, my aim is to turn young, energetic people into slow, creaking beings, temporarily at least. That way, they will, I hope, develop a feeling for what it's like to age. 
Now, Dr. Eckhart argues that there is a huge disconnect between lack of, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> she argues that there's a, a huge disconnect between large sections of the medical profession and their elderly patients, as well as a desperate lack of doctors who are willing to go into geriatric medicine. And so she says, rather than a PowerPoint presentation, this is the best way of giving them a real idea of what it feels like to be old. And she says, and only once we have their empathy can we really begin to win students round to become interested in serving older people as patients. I find that very interesting. But then, you know, it doesn't apply just to how we treat the elderly. Is that right? Stepping into someone else's suit, if you will, or trying to empathize with their life and their situations helps us as a family to deal with conflict, with friendships, with life together in the family of God. Friends, as we base our family life on the stable foundation of respect and provision, and discipline, we will find ourselves more and more becoming a healthier church with healthy relationships, a healthy desire to help those in need, and a healthy perspective on our calling to share the good news of Jesus with all that we meet. And so my prayer is that the Lord would bless us together in this journey towards becoming a healthy church family. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of the importance of your family. God, you have called us out of the world and out of individuality, and Lord, you have placed us into your kingdom into your eternal family, Father, into your flock, into your body. These are all pictures that you use to help us understand our interconnectedness and our need for one another. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would more and more encourage us to have empathy for our brothers and sisters in Christ as we journey this path together, serving you and loving our community. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we begin to wrap things up today, I want to just leave you with a challenge. As, as you leave this place today, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to today or tomorrow to spend some prayerful time just really seeking out someone in your life Maybe it's somebody in the church, maybe it's somebody outside, but somebody that you can increase your respect toward, somebody that you can look at with newfound empathy, or that you can help to provide for in some way. Allow God to lead you in this journey of discipline growth. So that's our challenge for today, for this week to really seek one person out and invest in them in some new and different way. The other thing I want to let you know before we close up is that our elders consider a, the ministry of prayer.
to be so important for this church. And so each Sunday, we have one or more of our elders over in the prayer corner today. I see it's Ed and Shirley, and they're waiting for anybody that would need prayer. Perhaps there's something going on in your life, in your situation, or you know somebody else that could need, need prayer. Ed and Shirley would, would be honored and privileged to pray with you. They'll step out into the hall or into a quiet room where they can pray for you. I also want you to know that one time every month, when our elders gather, they have a time of prayer for this congregation where we pray for individual needs and situations that we're aware of. And so if you have a, a specific prayer need that you would like the elders to pray about, tomorrow night is their prayer meeting. And they're going to gather. And they're going to write those prayer needs up on the board and they're going to divide them up and we're going to pray for you for those situations. We're going to take those with us and pray for you throughout the rest of the month. So if you have a prayer need, you can fill out your Connect card that's in your program this morning. On the back, there's a place for you to write down your prayer request. Let us know if it's public or if it's confidential. You can either leave this laying in the bench as you leave today or right between the glass doors as you head out. There's that mailbox where you can put your card in. Tomorrow evening, our elders will pray specifically for you or for whatever situation that you let them know about. So as we leave, pray about who you're going to serve or empathize with or respect more in a new way, and let us know if you have any specific prayer needs. Let's stand together as we have our closing song. May God bless us as we serve him together.